his goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Rock and roll. Kia ora, te roa. I hope your Saturday is going well. It is 12.03pm. It's 5.03pm here in, I would say, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. We'll make you up in the beautiful, sunny South Lake Tahoe. I heard it's raining there. Sorry, I've been in the sun all day. It's been bloody great. <laughs> Welcome to Rebet Live, episode 318 on Today FM. Super excited for today's show. Uh, what is Rebet Live? Well, my name is Rebet and we do this live, but we cover kind of three different intersections of commerce, community and culture with an overarching goal of something that I believe very strongly in, which is this. New Zealand wins when New Zealanders win. I like seeing Kiwis doing good stuff. I like trying to smash down the tall poppy syndrome and watching other Kiwis do great things. So coming up on today, uh, on the show, uh, just in just a moment, Olivia Wensley will be joining us. She is the CEO of Startup Queenstown Lakes and also going for mayor down there, which is pretty uh, interesting and exciting. Steve Paps will be joining me from Learn, Share, Repeat with what's the best podcast or books he's been listening to. Uh, he helps businesses improve their mindset and sales performance, which is something that is very important coming out of COVID with the mindset of everything that's going on to be able to push forward to the future. And after one o'clock, we have a weapon, another mega weapon joining the show. It is Spark CEO. Jolly Hodson will be joining me to discuss her new role as the convener for the Climate Leaders Coalition. Oh, very fancy, very big, and uh, super excited to get her on the show. I'd like to have a bit of a banter about that. And today's tall poppy profile is Laura Balmain from SafeStack. It's basically a community-centric online training platform takes a flexible people-focused approach to ongoing cyber security education. And you know that it's all important because everything to do with the internet is definitely important as we move into this Web3 world of all the crazy stuff we've got today, our time, young bucks, and a whole lot more. Question of the day, you can text me and you can text me through on 3920 or you can call through on 0800 Today FM. The question of the day is this. Would you rather 100 grand a year for 10 years or nothing for 10 years and then get $3 million at the end? What would, what would you prefer? Drip feed of a hundy or get 3x if you've got the patience? And just a little question to, to think, you know, would you rather take the, the safety and security or would you want the big big chunk at the end? Text it through, 3920. Let's get into the show, ladies and gentlemen. Giddy up, it is 12.05 p.m. Bet live. On today, FM. Let's get kicking off with the show. It is time for Young Bucks. Young Bucks is a young, awesome Kiwi doing great things. It's on the way, you know, out of high school, out of university, getting into the real world. And we like to start the show to, to highlight some of the young, brave thinking that exists in Aotearoa. So right now it's time for a weekly Young Bucks segment. And we're speaking with Pieta Proudfoot. She is the CEO of Ardai from Wellington Girl East Girls College. Kia ora, Pieta. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Kia ora. Thank you. I'm well. Let's go. Did I say your name right? Pieter Proudfoot. Is that the yes, right way to did. say it? Yeah. All right. Correct. Well, my name's Robert, and lots of people say Robot, Robay, Bob. Also, <laughs> I mean, I've I've been called a lot of bad things in my time, but I always like to get it right, just so you know that I respect the time being able to come on. So, you're from Wellington East Girls College. You're the CEO of Ardai. 
Talk me through this. Yeah. What is Arai? What are you doing? What's the goal? And I'm excited to hear more. Go for it. Yeah, so Arai um, is a young enterprise business, and we are creating an SPF dry shampoo. So that will conquer against oiliness and protect against harmful UV rays. Um, our mission is to decrease skin cancer rates, and we have found that 13% of all skin cancers are found on the scalp. Up to 2 to 5% of those are melanomas, so therefore we're not only sick, but scared of getting sunburned scalps. Huh. Okay, so it's a dry yeah. shampoo company. Very interesting. Yeah, so it will ha- it'll be SBS certified. So it will both, because you know when you're like out in the summer, your scalp's getting sweaty, um, but it's also getting like itchy and sore from the, the UV rays. So it both um, protects against the oiliness you get from the sweat in the summer, but also protects against those UV rays with the SBS certification. Well, I'm currently sitting in South Lake Tahoe in the middle of summer and it's 30 degrees and I'm currently bald or I've got no other options for it. So I know all about the hair, um, the, the, the head getting burnt off. So talk me through this. You're at, a, you're at high school and you've thought of this company. What was the genesis of how did this idea come about? Where did this start from? Yeah, so we're all quite different in the group and we've all, like whether we were out rowing or just reading in the sun, we all came back with really sore, itchy scalps and we also found that our hair started thinning a bit. So um, we identified this as a problem and we also identified that there were no other products in the market that could solve this problem. So then that's kind of how Adai was born. Okay, and so let's talk this. You know, you're you're obviously, I'm sure you've got exams, you're in high school, there's lots of important things coming up. How do you balance trying to, run a dry shampoo business while still being at, at high school? How, how are you navigating this? Yeah, I think being passionate about about what you're doing is really important. So everyone in the group, all six of us, are really passionate about this cause. And we know that by creating this problem, we'll be solving a much-needed problem. So um, working on this project outside of school isn't a big deal for us. We really enjoy working on it, so it's not like a hassle, and we are all, you know, actively doing as much as we can to bring this to life. So, how do you, you know, you're all sitting around at school. You decide to start this business. You've got six, um, six of you. It sounds like in the group. Here's a here's yep. a tricky question for you, Peter. How have you delegated the tasks and skill sets of the group to be able to grow a business when you're still at high school amongst the six of you? How have you worked through those those challenges and opportunities? Yeah, yeah. So um, we're all quite individuals. That was really cool because we had never actually worked all together before. But because we were so, you know, we had never really known each other, we first identified everyone's strengths and weaknesses. So for some, their strengths were communications and, like, um, organisation and interacting with the market. And so we identified those strengths and weaknesses and then had a just a really open discussion about what we wanted from the business. And then from there, it was rather easy to allocate roles. Good on you. That's awesome. Okay. So you're at, you're at high school. You, you start launching this business. You decide you're going to make dry shampoo. Now, I'm guessing you don't just go to Google and type in how to find manufacturers for dry shampoo. Yeah. Currently, yeah. when you're in Wellington, going to Wellington East Skills College, how do you find a manufacturer for dry shampoo? Talk me through how you've made the product and what happens next. Just talk me through the manufacturing process because I'm genuinely intrigued. Great, yes. Yeah. So um, we're working with a team of chemists down in Christchurch called Beautiful Solutions um, to ensure that our product actually works. They're doing the formulation for us. So from then, we will then um, bring it to a contract manufacturer, most likely up in Auckland, and they will create our SBS dry shampoo. 
There you go. Okay. So when you're looking at, let's let's talk research for a second. You know, you, you're starting the business out. You're looking at the, the the market. Like, what percentage of people go dry shampoo versus regular shampoo, and how big's the current market that you're looking to go after when you when you're looking to start? Are I? Yeah, so the market is, is huge, especially because there's nothing like us. So normal shampoo is what you use when you're in the shower or in the bath, right? But our SPF dry shampoo is applied to a, um, a dry hair, and it's on top of your normal hair routine, really. So the market is really big because there is nothing like our SPF dry shampoo. So, yeah. There you go. Okay, pr- pricing. How do you figure out how much to charge this thing, and how do you work out... Have you worked out the the margins and then the scalability and get into uh, distribution? Like, t- talk me through that. I mean, I'm sure this is is this everyone in the in the so the group of six is this the first company you've started? How have you worked through that? Yeah, so this is the first company. Um, we have a really strong finance person working in the team, and so we have very high fixed costs. Um, so we're selling our product for nineteen ninety nine. Um, Maybe in the next few years, once we become an established business, this price can go down once our fixed costs um, disappear. But yes, at the moment, it'll be nineteen ninety nine, and it's not launched yet, but it'll be launched in November. And what's the current uh, thinking around how you'll split your uh, retail side? Are you going to go direct to consumer using social and have your own website, or are you going to try and get into distribution into the countdowns and the pack and saves of the world? How have you thought about distribution and sales? Yeah, so we have a really strong connection with um, Unikem Pharmacies. Um, so they will be our first point of uh, in-store retail. We were also in the process of setting up a website and we'll have direct sales through our Instagram. Good on you. What's the most exciting thing? This is the first company you've, you've started. You haven't you know, had the big waves of challenges and opportunities that come your way just yet. What are you most excited about for the future of launching a company out of high school? I'm excited just to seeing how this impacts people. Like we have a big hope that this is going to decrease melanoma rates. Um, obviously, that's a big goal. But just if one person or a few people don't get sunburnt scalps in the summer, like I think we've achieved that, and that would be really exciting. Good on you. That's awesome. Okay. Now the uh, the branding and stuff. Where'd you come? How'd you come up with the, the name? And talk me through some of how you've decided to sort of position this in the in the market in terms of the marketing perspective. Yeah, so at I, it means protect the Māori. We think it's super important to use Māori terms and phrases to both educate and kind of influence other businesses to do the same. Like, you know, it's such a cool thing to do, and I think it's very important. Um, in terms of marketing, we are marketing through Instagram at the moment and TikTok. We got 13.2 thousand views on a recent Instagram video. Um, we're being in newsletters, and we plan on going on to new stations and stuff in the future. So we're um, currently in the process of contacting as many like um, news platforms as possible to get our mission out there because at the moment our big problem is funding. Our project's going to cost $14,000 and, you know, being high school students, we don't really have that money available to us. So we're really trying to advertise and market for um, possible donations and even sponsors. 
or even potentially pre-sales where you could do it. You could do you know, yeah, the first, yeah. first thousand different things and you get little, little high, you know, signed packages or whatever it may be and do that. So I want to talk about that for a second because I figured that you probably didn't have, you know, millions of dollars for one minute long mm. TV commercials which go on TV one, two, three and all, all the rest of it. You've got, you know, you just said, you know, 13,200 different views on this thing. For those that are older listening to this that don't understand the power of, I guess, digital marketing or being able to use social media to be able to sell products and stuff. Just what advice would you give for someone that doesn't understand trying to sell product or maybe social media in general to the actual power of what it can do to sell sell or help businesses without costing a cent? Yeah, so it's usually for small businesses. It's just a great way to get confident out there, to put yourself out there really. Like, um, when we first started out, we, you know, we were, weren't fully confident about ourselves, but putting that out there and getting that validation from like Instagram and TikTok was really rewarding. And then we gained that confidence to go on other platforms such on such as the platform I'm on now and like um, newsletters and stuff. So your yeah, Instagram is just a great gateway for marketing, you know, like it's just a really good way to learn, to learn what people are liking and to be interactive with your market. There you go. I mean, it's always really cool talking to younger people that are getting into business because so many people that are older, they don't realise that, you know, using social media well, you can get to thousands, if not millions of people without spending a cent. You can just create good content on the right platforms and it gives you free marketing. You know, you can put a, I'm imagining you'll, you know, put links on the back of it or different specific hashtags which people can follow along and help try and build the brand, you know. So it's 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 always really cool talking to young people that get into the business, being able to, you know, create revenue and, and generate commerce and make money off using social platforms for free. It's, pre- it's pretty amazing, something that didn't even exist, you know, definitely in, in my time when I was younger as well. So it must feel pretty cool to, you know, at least know this digital landscape which is awesome yeah yeah so to finish off if someone is listening now and obviously you're about to launch in november you're going to you know save you fourteen thousand dollars you're going to you know, get stuff rolling if people wanting to to are listening now and they want to support this they they want to support um you know the business trying to help um, fight skin cancer dry shampoo where can they go to what can they do so they can email us at ri.info.nz at gmail ri is spelled a-r-a-i or they can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at arai.scf. Our website will be launching in the next month, so if you are uh, contacting us on either of those platforms or um, following us, we'll be sure to let you know when you can look at our website. Well, it's awesome. Hey, I know I'm mid-30s, bald, washed up and fat but i would love to try some on my uh my semi bald bald head or at least we'll give some away so when it's finally ready reach back out to us we'd love to be able to support and best luck for your journey and thanks so much for joining us today enjoy the rest of the weekend awesome thank you so much you too let's go how cool is that peter proudfoot ceo of arai from wellington east girls college always get more positive thinking about the future talking to epic young Kiwis that are creating good things. So awesome. Don't forget, you can text me through for any feedback or um, just to say what up if you'd like on 3920 or the number call if you'd like to troll me in real time is 0800 Today FM. After the break, it is Olivia Wensley. She is, oh mate, she's a weapon. She is an absolute weapon and she, she, she is the Chief Executive Officer of Startup Queenstown Lakes and on top of all that, she's going for mayor. The time now is 12.18pm. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM.
and we're flying into hour number one. Rebet Live episode 318. Here we go. Uh, there's fa- some fake news there, team, as well. We're going to talk about it. They said I was in Silicon Valley. Totally lies. I'm in, I'm in South Lake Tahoe. My feet are kicked up. The sun is shining. The lake is fresh, and I heard it's raining there, so I'm really sorry. Uh, next up, actually, I'm not even sorry. I'm flipping pumped. The day's going well. Uh, Olivia Wensley is joining me next. She is a former litigation lawyer who's worked in New Zealand, Australia, Singapore. Weapon. And she's a uh, advocate for the New Zealand hashtag MeToo um, movement. She's the chief executive officer of startup Queenstown Lakes. Plus, on top of all of that, as well as having a family and everything, she's also about to run for mayor for Queenstown. So, hey, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Olivia Winsley. Kia ora. Kia ora, Rebecca. Nice to be here. Hey, okay. I heard, how was your, your Saturday cruising down in Queenstown? What's bubbling down that ways? Oh, I, I did not tell you how good the snow is. Oh. <laughs> you'd, be, <laughs> you'd get great FOMO. It's, um, it's so epic at the moment. It's the best start to winter that I've seen in the last 10 years. Let's go. Okay, so now you've got me even more excited because I didn't think, you know, for those if they're in, you know, Auckland, it's rainy and miserable. One better place would be in the sun in South Lake Tahoe in California, or even better than that, is in the snow enjoying the fresh stuff. So absolutely awesome. Well done, you. Hey, I'm excited for you to be able to join the, the show today, and I thought I wanted to maybe kick off with this. Through COVID, you were making a big, big push for what can be done in the area, obviously being the CEO of startup uh, Queenstown Lakes, but making a big push for tech businesses and stuff. For those that aren't aware, and I want to just, I guess, set the scene a little bit, give the 101 on the amount of, I guess, opportunity that you see, but also the talent that's currently existing there with what that could mean for not only Queenstown, the Southern Lakes, but also Aotearoa. Yes, oh, it's been so interesting what's happened in the last couple of years. So what I saw is when COVID hit our region, our economy got decimated because uh, the, our local economy is very heavily based on tourism. But the interesting silver lining was that suddenly we had this surge of talent coming to town. So I kept running into these people and saying, oh, wh- wh- where are you from? Because they've clearly got an American accent. And I just kept hearing, oh, we're here from Silicon Valley. We're here from Silicon Valley. I'm like, hold on, what's going on here? And then, so I realized that our region is super, super attractive to tech workers. And, and you'll appreciate that there's a lot of parallels between uh, mountain towns in America uh, that have attracted tech workers and tech companies. And, the, yeah, there's a huge amount of parallels. So there's been towns which have been able to uh, pivot from being a tourism-only destination to having a really well-established tech scene. So that's sort of my vision for the Queenstown Lakes, is that we can really diversify by just continuing to encourage epic talent to come here. Well, through COVID, one of the big things with the borders being, being locked is, you know, we're saying time and time again, Technology out of New Zealand is now the second biggest export and it's just absolutely cranking and boosting up. When tourism goes to zero and you can hedge your bets a little bit and double down on this, you know, this thing which is weightless, it's global, it can go from zero to a billion with the same, you know, almost the same cost opposed to something that potentially, you know, say fishing, forestry or farming where it might just be, you know, there's a there's a cap of what you can or can't do. How have, How do you think this actually plays out? In the, if you could wave your little sprinkle dust of, of awesomeness of in Southern Lakes, what do you think that looks like? Is that opening up more tech jobs and incubators and and investment funds, or like what does that practically look like for the average Kiwi that's looking at it to see, oh, this this thing's actually bubbling and it's creating jobs and bringing you know millions, if not billions, into the economy? What does that look like? 
Well, it's just about building that great community because that's where the magic happens, right? And that's what I love to see. Is I just love connecting people and joining the dots because there's so many people in our region doing really cool things. So then they've got great contacts internationally as well. So a lot of it is storytelling, actually, and it's just getting that message out there because I don't think that people, even in New Zealand, they don't realise what's happening in our region in terms of technology talent and the and the potential that we could um yeah the, the potential for our economy basically it's very very exciting so yeah so i think that's just the key is getting the message out there that queenstown lakes is a great place to live it's a great place to work and there is uh, tech talent here so it's just fostering that what's the biggest um thing you've learned about the the i guess the tech community in New Zealand and Aotearoa in the, in the last couple of years since, since coming back and, and getting s- settled in? Like, how do you, like, looking at a macro, how do you currently view it with the, where the biggest potential opportunities are for, for us to make things even bigger and better in, in New Zealand? Yeah, well, that's a really interesting one, right? Because, like, Kiwis are by nature really innovative, I think. And um, it's just sort of unlocking that. And, I mean, I, I think part of what you, you talk about as well is, is, like, the tall poppy thing. And... The difference, what I think we need to get over and take more of an approach that they do in America is embracing failure and sort of wearing that as a badge, right? You know, because that's what they do in Silicon Valley. They they totally. they wear their failures as a badge of honour, but in New Zealand there's still that sort of, um, yeah, that tall poppy issue. So what we need to be doing is just fostering that culture that it's okay to fail, actually, success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing optimism and so that's the kind of thing that we we really need to be fostering in order for New Zealand to realise its full potential when it comes to tech. Failure to failure without losing optimism. I'm writing that down. I'm going to probably steal that sometime, Olivia. That was really good. Failure to failure without losing optimism. But it's true, right? Like it's classic Um, with entrepreneurship. And, and getting success is that it, you have to be able to have that grit and resilience to ride through the tough times. Mm. And, um, and and also just seeing it as it's not a moral failing. If, if your idea, if you try it, if it doesn't work, you know, it's sort of, um, yeah. yeah, I think um, that's what we, we need to be getting that more into our culture here for us to really kick ass on a global stage. I love it. It's definitely one of the big drivers for myself as well. So obviously on top of being mm-hmm. and the lawyer, you've got the CEO of Startup Blake's Queenstown. You also were nominated yeah. for New Zealander of the Year, which is unreal. And also on top of that, you're now going for mayor of, of the Queenstown Lakes. So you've just got a couple of quick things on <laughs> on the boil. I want to maybe ask this, this question. You're obviously a weapon and you're very smart and you're doing some great things. How do you currently prioritise and allocate your energy across all the different things that you're actually involved with? And I'm asking kind of selfishly because I do the same thing, but you're obviously potentially executing at a, at a high level as well. So I'm, I'm interested to know, how do you how do you navigate your energy? Yeah, well, that, that's a good question, actually. Well, I do have lots of it, so that's really good. And it's just sort of um, thinking about what, because, um, I mean, you, your passions and what you're passionate about um, is, is what you pour energy into, really. And so that's sort of my thing, my two sort of things I'm most excited about is is tech and bringing tech to New Zealand and developing our economy and also the human rights side, the women's rights and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's basically how do I balance it all? I don't know. I think I, I just love living a big life and I think you just need to go hard or go home. <laughs> so Let's that's go. sort of my approach. 
Great answer. Absolutely um, great answer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, you just you just can't strive for mediocrity. You just always, I always love just taking on big challenges because it's really interesting when you push past that fear mindset and you just push, you feel the fear, but then you keep pushing past it. That's when you get into the level of epicness. And I mean, you know this because of what you've done, but it's sort of um, just getting that sort of putting yourself out there and, and doing the stuff. So like with the mayoralty, I saw it as a great opportunity because I've got this insight of how we can really transform our region um, for the better and it needs to happen. So yeah, so it's sort of, I mean, you and I, we talk about shaking the tree. I love to shake the tree and there's nothing more right for disruption than local government. <laughs> so just for, <laughs> for a bit of context, the in current councils, there are more men named John than there are people under 40 Pass across off. New Zealand. Actually. Yeah, so, <laughs> actually. And, you know, like, I'm not a spring chicken. I'm 37. I'm the average age of the average Kiwi, right? We need, it's just crazy that someone my age is <laughs> getting considered young for local council. It's rubbish. So we need to be getting more... I, our, our local councils need to look like a cross-section of society because that's the, the, where all the decisions are made. So our generation needs to be stepping up and, and making some decisions for the future because it's just nuts that the average age of um, councillors across the country, I think as it councils or mayors, is 65, which is just insanity. So we Gee, need to be um, encouraging young people to step up and um, and make some decisions for their community. Well, it's a similar thing. Uh, Michelle Dickinson, I was with her in uh, at CES over in Vegas, which is the world's uh, you know largest uh, consumer electronics trade show. It's like 180,000 people. 95% of the people there were men, and she just had this line of saying, you know, what are the products and services look like in the future if they are designed by 95% that are of, of one gender. I was like, huh, oh, you're actually right when it's a 50-50 split. The same would be standard if you correlated across going, okay, if literally <laughs> no one, if, if the average age is 65, but the average age Kiwi is, you know, 37, so let's say 30 years younger, I'm sure there's a lot of different priorities and mindset and energy or whatever that that's a gap. So it feels like that is a gap to, to do it. So maybe going into this before we finish off, Olivia, would be if what message would you send to younger Kiwis who want to make an impact with an Aotearoa and, and and want to try and do it, but they don't feel that they've maybe either done enough yet or, or whatever it may be. Like, how do you try and inspire younger to get involved with things that actually matter? You know what? And this is what I've learned is that one person can make a difference. All it takes is one person standing up and saying, hey, this is what we should be doing. And that's, and that's it really. It's, it's, yeah. A lot of people don't take action and they don't think that they can make a change, but that's rubbish, especially in a country our size. It's actually very, very possible for a person to be able to make significant impact. So you just need to not listen to, I, I think you just have to um, go against society, societal norms, right? You know, like this is what I'm doing. The classic image of a mayor is a 65-year-old white guy, right? So it's kind of shocking people. <laughs> that I didn't say that. You said it. I didn't woman. say it. You said no, it. No, no, no. That's literally what the statistics say. That's the stats. So it's, it's shocking people. But then when they're looking at this, they're thinking, huh, actually, why not? And so instead of, um, instead of talking yourself out of things, People need to be talking themselves into things and think, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? 
So just just go for it. If you want to make a change and stand up, go for it. I love it. And on that note, I, I always love chatting to you. You just flip and send it. It's so good. Like, it's, just so, it's so awesome. It's so good. It's so good. It's just the mindset that you hold. So imagine if all other Kiwis, like young bucks that were like into it to try and push or people in business who want to be braver to try things or leaders that really wanted to, you know, push the boat out to do great things in their company. Like that mindset of, it's not even growth mindset. It's just the send it mentality to like give it a nudge and crack it and, and make the story even better. So yeah. really appreciate um, your time joining us. Best of luck with the, the mural campaign and enjoy the snow down in the Southern Lakes. You've, you actually Thanks are in a so better spot much. than I am. Love your work. <laughs> Thanks for a bit. See ya. There you go. Olivia Wensley, uh, nomination for, no, nominee for New Zealander of the Year, running for the Mayor of Queenstown Lakes, an absolute weapon and understand the world of technology and a lot, lot more. Uh, this is Today FM. The time now is 12.34pm. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. Hey, hey. Kia ora te roa. We're rolling along for a bit live episode 318. It is 12.37pm and you're on Today FM. Hope the day is cruising and cranky. You can text me through on 3920 if you'd like or if you want to ring me up and troll me and say, what up? 0800 Today FM. I'd love to hear your thoughts or just banter away. It's time for business in a minute. 60 seconds to make your company even better than it is right now. Tip for today is a structure for brain dumps. What does that mean? Well, Anytime you're running a company or doing things, stuff's always in your head, or even if you're just busy going around. And so many times you forget things all the time, all the, all, all, all the time. So having a structure for how to get things out of your head and onto something that you can just move on to the next is one of the most critical things that you do, especially when there's, you know, when you're a small business, which is 97% of New Zealand small businesses are companies with under 20 people, I believe. You need a way to get a huge list down. How do you do it? Do you get it on paper, post-its? What do you do first? You know, um, you have questions, you know, what's going to bring money in faster? What do you need to do here? How's this going to work there? You know, this whole sort of thing. So the way I do it, I use two things. One, I have a little voice recorder, which I put next to my bed, or I put phones and my ideas under one little to-do list. If you don't have a way to get things out of your head, you will forget things, things slip. So you need to create a little structure for it. Super simple. It doesn't matter what you do, but it brings it all down to the same thing. That's the way to do it. Get one little list, write it down, or have a simple way to do it. So whatever you do, come up with a structure, put it into place, and you will always, your best ideas, you get them down. Things you need to do, get them down. You know, if you let the small things slip, the big things slip as well. So that is my little tip for today. Have a little structure for your brain dumps. Have a little process what you do. And that is how to get more out of business. The time now is 12.38pm. Bet Live. On Today FM. It is time for my three cents. It's not as two cents, it's three cents. What is the three cents for? Uh, well, I've just, you know, usually got just things on my head I'd like to just get out into the public. And today's one is about Instagram versus reality. When social media first came along, you know, everyone got into the mix. Instagram came along and everyone got into the mix there. And then these apps started popping up. They were showing you how your face could be perfect without blemishes and how you could look skinnier, how you could make your waist smaller and your ass fatter or whatever it is you wanted to do. And what ended up happening is the headspace of younger teenagers and whatever started to go down because there was this perception of what they thought all this perfect life was. I've seen it on Instagram. And I, just this week, I saw a, a pretty awesome article, and it was about Instagram versus reality, and it was showing the polished shot 
of what was perceived as perfect and then the actual reality for the the imperfections and the pure you know the the honesty of the the authenticity of actually what was real and there was such a big difference so what i think about now is i'm actually really glad things like tiktok and stuff have come up because instagram was seen as polished and perfective perfect TikTok's now come along and it's really humanized the experience. It's shown people there in their pajamas doing some funky dances on the street in their house, in their kitchen. There's no makeup. It's all blemishes. It's just life. It's real. It's authentic. And the expectations of how things were just with the Instagram world was a little bit heavy. And I would see these people that I know look different, start to look different on it, <laughs> on their photos. And I'd be seeing this stuff. I'm like, guys, it's not real. So the thing for the day of my three cents is just kind of the simple thing of realizing that hashtag blessed perfection that you see in the world, it's not actually real. You know, humans are humans. Humans are flawed. I definitely am. And don't ever believe the visual perception of what you think is the reality because I can tell you it is 100% not. So thank you for TikToks and these other, you know, social medias that come out from the world. And the way I like to think about it is technology is great, but technology is just a tactic. It's a tactic which we use to integrate into our lives to do good things. That's awesome. Fine. When Facebook first came out, it was open to all and created its community. When Snapchat first came out, it was closed off one-to-one -one and, you know, people were sending photos of their junk or whatever they were doing. But what you found over time is that it made its way into the middle. And I, I hope that for the future of social media and all these things is that the headspace of our youth and the perceptions of those that are living and breathing don't think that everything is always perfect because telling you, friends, it is definitely not. And that, my friends is my three cents for today. The time now is 12.41. After the break, it's Learn, Share, Repeat. This is Rebet Live, episode 318 on Today FM and streaming live on Rover. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Let's go, let's go. It's 12.43 p.m. in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 5.43 here in South Lake Tahoe, beautiful California. Hope your weekend is going well wherever you're at all across this amazing country. Welcome back to Rebet Live, episode 318 on Today FM. You can find out more about us at todayfm.co.nz or you can follow us on the socials. You've heard about those things. It's the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the Twitter and the TikToks. Team, they've got the TikToks. Uh, search for Today FM. New Zealand. If you want to get in touch or troll me away, text me through any questions you may have. We've got Ask Rebecca that's going to be coming up later. Text me through any question you'd like on 3920. Can't guarantee it will be correct, but oh, by golly, I'll give it a crack, that's for sure. Now it's time for Learn, Share, Repeat, and this week we're chatting with Steve Paps. Steve helps businesses improve their mindset and sales performance using his NLP sales framework. He works with clients using NLP to make internal shifts and remove limiting beliefs. Whoa, my first question is going to be, team, what is NLP? So without further ado, join us for the show, Steve Paps for Learn, Share, Repeat. What's up, my friend? Hey, Robert, how are you? Good, bro. Good, good, good. I hope, how is this Saturday? Where are you at and what's bubbling? I'm just uh, in Takapuna, actually. And, uh, yeah, it's nice and, nice and sunny over here. <laughs> there you go. Tacker on the shore. So before we get into Learn, Share, Repeat, where we try to figure out what's the best podcasts and books that you're reading, for those that aren't aware, what does NLP mean? So NLP is short for Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, so I guess essentially in a nutshell, what, what, what we do is we use special language patterns to help people change their subconscious mind, which essentially transforms all of their results in all areas of their life. So, yeah, uh, that's probably the simplest way I could explain NLP. 
There you go. No, I get it. One of the, uh, you know, obviously being aware of, you know, a whole bunch of this type of stuff as I do dig in to try and find myself a little bit, bit better, but is this idea of mindset around how when you can shift what you tell yourself, those come into beliefs, which turn into actions, which turn into execution, which turn into results. It's this kind of this reverse track of things, but it always seems to end up with their mindset and we connected up with uh, the Trade Commissioner, Ruth McLeod, from uh, NZT here over in San Francisco. And she was saying, you know, the biggest challenge for New Zealand entrepreneurs and New Zealand businesses that are trying to do big, it's got nothing to do with access to capital. And she was, she actually said 70% of it was to do with their mindset and how they ta- what they these entrepreneurs and business people are telling themselves about how they actually operate. So, mate, you're right in, you're right in the intersection. So um, maybe let's jump into this now. You're obviously... You talk to a lot of business owners. Um, you're obviously pretty plugged into this ho- this whole world. Learn share repeat is about you know what are the best things you're listening to. What are you learning from? So right now for Steve Paps, what are you, what is the best podcast you listen to? What's the best books you're, you're reading and why? Cool. Um, so School of Greatness um, by Lewis House. House, sorry, he's um, he's he's very good. I mean, he he speaks quite quite broad. And I think um, he touches on a lot of things um, that would apply to most people, whether it's business or finances, relationships, health. And I think he he gives quite a good array of of speakers and guests that he brings on to his show. And then Ed Milet, Ed Milet is very similar as well. He he he's kind of geared towards um, a bit more motivational, but he's very um, he very much also touched on a whole bunch of different aspects in life. Um, if we were to go to books, um, the books that I'm reading at the moment is um, Zero Resistance to Selling. I've, I've read this heaps of times, but you can never uh, kind of get, get old of reading that book. That's by, it's an oldie by Maxwell Maltz. Um, and then also an oldie, um, which is by Joseph Murphy, uh, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. Ooh, okay. Go on. So go there for a second. <laughs> Sorry. Go there for a second. So you got uh, so the podcast. You got School of Greatness with Lois Howes, Ed Milet, and this is these are podcasts. And on the book side, you've got Zero Resistance to Selling from Maxwell uh, Maltz and Power of Your Subconscious. Is that right? Yes, subconscious mind. Yes, subconscious mind. Okay, so I want to got a question about the Zero Resistance to Selling. You've obviously read it before. What's yep. it, and if it was a tweet, what is the tweet? <laughs> I, I, I guess because I've already read this other book, Psycho-Cybernetics, I'm not sure if you read that one. I, I think it's more so shift your identity or your self-image, as he would say, um, to match. What does that mean? Well, you're, well, I'll give you an example. So we identity is referred to as who you think you are um, at, at a deep subconscious level. So um, I've worked with a number of different businesses, and I've given, for example, there was one franchise of, of gyms, big, big blue one. I'd, I'd go and I trained different uh, franchises under that, that brand and I gave them each scripts. Now, I didn't actually go through any mindset coaching with them and, and talking to them about shifting their identity. The identity, this was years ago, um, but there were there was one gym that was literally in Takapuna and then there was one other gym that was in Glenfield. So that's about three, four K radius. One gym completely outperformed the other gym and and they both had the same scripts, they had both the same inflow of leads. The difference between the two was the identity. One didn't see themselves as being able to sell those that level of, of, of well, make that level memberships of the gym, whereas the other person thought it was easy. Huh. So this is about, the, when you mean identity, this is the, 
you know, the person that's talking to themselves saying, I believe I'm awesome enough to do this. I am great. And then they go and do it. And even though they've got the same script, it's the, is it, is it the energy that they, that they extrude out into the world? Is it the, like, is it their, their vibe and, and aura? What's the, what's the hook there in terms of the mindset shift? Cause they've got the same script, but two different energies and there's obviously different commercial outputs. What's the, what's the insight there? Yeah, it's good. So, yeah, one person has a clear self-image um, of how they see themselves as a person. So, for example, um, they see themselves as, as as being a successful salesperson, getting memberships. And um, because they see themselves as that, their thoughts will align to that as well as their emotions. And, and basically how you think and how you feel, that creates your personality or what we call identity as well. And... Um, that influences your personal reality, the results that you have. So the, the biggest problem really that people experience is that they're trying to change their personal reality with the same personality or identity. Whoa, so say, whoa, whoa, whoa. okay, you, you said some smart stuff there. Rewind that last sentence back and break that down for me. That's actually quite interesting. They did what? Yeah, so um, so you, how you think and how you feel, that creates your, your identity, your personality, and that in itself creates your personal reality, the, the results that you have in all areas of your life. So what happens is that people try to change their personal reality, their life, the results that they have in any area, being the same person or being, having the same, same level of identity, and that just never works. You literally mm. have to become someone different. And that, that, that I guess, is where a lot of, lot, lot of uh, discomfort comes into play is that people don't know what that other person um what the other person looks like or whether they would like to entertain stepping into that space of being someone different. And, I mean, it's just like a sports athlete, you know, they go from one level to, to if they want to go to an international level, they literally have to be someone different. They can't be the same person. Yeah, okay. So from most, like, let's say out of all the, you know, you've had obviously dealt with hundreds of these business owners over over the years, what percentage of them do you feel have a mental block or an operational block? Like, is this more external stuff within the organizations or is the majority of this you feel that's holding New Zealand and Aotearoa back actually internal? Is it an external or internal issue? What's the percentages? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say it's around, you're probably looking around the 65, 70% um, would be mindset. Um, and then the rest is just strategy. Um and that, that's, just, that's just across different sectors. I've, I've worked across fitness, retail, construction, all the same. It's mindset. It's funny you say 70%, which is exactly the same number that the Trade Commissioner for NZTE said when she talked to me about the mindset thing, where she was like, I feel it's 70%. And it's it, and also as well, when they've got the same script, you, you then wonder, you know, there's obviously, you know, external education. External execution comes after that; those kind of moments of internal bravery. Very, very cool. Okay, so before we go, what do you think is holding Aotearoa back from being even more awesome than what it is now? What do you think is holding us back? Yeah, I guess um, I think there's a few things. Um, I, I don't think it's just Aotearoa itself. I think there's other other places as well around the world that that, that kind of experiences this. But I think I think with here. Um, I've, I've worked with a lot of Maori um, Pacific um, specifically, and, the, and there's these deeper beliefs around I'm not good enough, and that mm. seems to um, stem through, and, and also I'm not worthy enough. Now, it's not limited to Maori Pacific, but um, the, 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 the average business that I work with, I tend to have to work with them on those two areas, um, and then the other one, one 
area that's only sometimes tall poppy syndrome. So sometimes they don't want to yep. shine, you know, and that's a big thing in New Zealand as well. So those are those are some of the key ones that I work with clients on. It, you know, literally last week we were talking with um, Julia Jones, the head of insights from NZX, and she was saying the same thing about you know people have this mindset of you know I'm not I'm not lovable, I'm not adored, I'm not worthy, blah blah blah, and it's the self talk that they will do for themselves, and it's so crazy sometimes. Pro to your point around the two different people with the same script, people can feel other people's energy. You know, like I've felt certain people's energy work, walk in the room and I'm like, they just don't have any self-belief about what they're even doing. And some people come in, you're like, dude, these guys are naive as shit, but holy, I'm, I'm down for the cause because they're just all about it. There's something that... Um, I always wonder about these circles of, you know, all these individuals have these similar sort of challenges that they go after to try and do it, but they keep feeling this weight of tall poppy syndrome or whatever it has come, come to them. And then it becomes almost that point of, you know, who's that small circle around you that's really trying to push you to do awesome? Who's really going to have you back that's close to you to help you, you know, change that mindset and that stuff too. So um, it's super cool to even just hearing about the fact that you're doing that and Great to know that you validated that number of about 70%, which is what I was told literally last week. So it's, <laughs> I appreciate that. So, um, so Steve, if people want to, you know, check out some of your stuff, I'll give you a bit of a, a plug and some props here. Where can they go to? What can they do? Cool. Um, so you can go to my website, uh, www.stevepats.com. Um, I've got a free course on there as well. So for anyone that's needs some help with mindset or sales, there's a free course that you can go on. Or you can check me out on my socials across Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, the Steve Paps. Cool. And that is Paps, P-A-P-P-S, everyone. Uh, awesome. And so just for recap, the podcasts were School of Greatness from Lewis, Lewis Howes and Ed Milet, and the books were Zero Resistance Selling by Maxwell Maltz and then Power of Your Subconscious Mind. Really appreciate you joining the show, bro. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, and thanks for um, locking in. I'll talk to you soon. There we go, my man. Uh, coming after the break, it's Ask Robert. If you've got a question you'd like to ask, text me through on 3920 or call through on 0800 Today FM. The time now is 12.55pm. And now... Ask Robert. It is Robert Live episode 318 on Today FM. Find your local frequency at todayfm.co.nz. It will take us with you on the go on your smartphones. You know it's in your pocket. Just download the free Rover app and you're off to the races. It's time for Ask Rebet. Uh, some questions to come through. Question now from Jin from Auckland. I'm assuming you've got a large capacity juggling some meaty stuff at a time. Well, yes, I do. Uh, I feel I'm exactly the opposite. I need focus time. I, I naturally tend to go deeper, but process slower, therefore unable to juggle effectively. Can I train myself to do it? Or is that forcing myself to be something I am not? There you go. Hey, so team, this is pretty simple. This is depth, not width. The majority of time of anyone that does anything is focus. That means depth is better than width. I am horrendous at depth sometimes because I like to do a whole bunch of cool things. But anytime that anyone you see is people that are successful, it is depth, not width. They find something, they, they get into it, and they go really, really deep, and that's what that pops off. So don't feel bad that you can't do it all. It's actually better, way better in most situations to be able to do one thing really well over and over and over again like that. So the personal message for me is, is thinking about, you know, individual confidence with it. Don't be ashamed of, you know, what you know and how you do it. Just flip and get in there. If you if feel good about something, own it. Don't feel bad for being good. You do you. Uh, coming up after the break, Spark CEO Jolly Hodgson on her new role as the convener for the Climate Leaders Coalition. But first up, we've got news, sport, weather and much, much more. Hour one is done. For a bit live episode 318, giddy up. His goal. 
to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebette Live. Call 0800 Today FM. And it is now hour number two. Rebecca Live, episode 318, 103pm in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 603 here in uh, the States. Um, coming up on this hour in just a moment, Spark CEO Jolie Hodson on a new role as convener for the Climate Leaders Coalition. Laura Balmain from SafeStack. And before 2 o'clock, I'll be speaking with Elise uh, Helium, the co-founder of MenuAid, a Christchurch-based startup helping to solve what's for dinner dilemma. Oh, I like that. I always ask that question. Uh, any questions, you can text me through on 3920 or call through on 0800 Today FM. The time now is 12.03pm. Rebet Live. Hold up, it's not 12.03, it's 1.03. Oh, jingle bells, day's getting away from me. My next guest is Jolie Hodson, the CEO of Spark New Zealand. Uh, basically, if you've got a cell phone in your pocket, most likely it might be her data that's going through there, so big ups to you there, thank you. Uh, recently, she stepped into the role of the convener for the Climate Leaders Coalition. Well, about to find out what that is. Uh, it is, it exists to set the bar for what climate leadership looks like in Aotearoa's business community and unites close to 100 different organisations around Aotearoa to deliver climate mitigation, adaption and transition. Gay on, let's go. Jolie, kia ora and good afternoon. Thanks for your time and welcome along. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on. How is the Saturday bubbling away? What's what's up in the household? How's everything? Oh, we're all good. Just having a little bit of, you know, catch up on a few of those jobs, making sure we can uh, keep household running at the same time as uh, everything else that's happening. I get it. I get it. Um, okay, so let's jump. Let's jump into it. Uh, you've taken over from the bro, Mike Bennett, who's kept a very steady, firm hand on the on the wheel. Now you're stepping through. For those that aren't aware, the power of a hundred organisations is pretty awesome. What does this look like now for we want to take this thing for the Climate Leaders Coalition? It's pretty pretty awesome thing. So good on you. Yeah, it's a great um, opportunity for business to come together to really help shift and um, make take the action that's required to help New Zealand meet its obligations and if you think about um, the shift now we've also released a new ambition statement which really looks at ensuring that we keep our warming to 1.5 degrees it recognizes we can't mitigate all impacts so adaption is a big focus and it also includes um, a discussion around scope 3 emissions and how influencing the supply chains we work with as well so really it's a around measuring um, uh, with gross emission reductions requirements of each business and transparently sharing that but it's the opportunity to work together, and I think that's mm. the, the biggest thing that I see with us. Is, you know, we have an ambition to make sure that we do make the shifts that we need. There isn't a lot of time. People stand back and think, oh, it's years away, but the reality is we need to take action now, and I mm. think this is what this group is really focused on in terms of delivering that. And when I was looking at it, uh, came out, you know, you had the post saying, you know, we know the window to prevent the, w- the worst impacts of climate change is closing fast and the private sector has a significant role to play in helping our tr- country transition to a low carbon and climate resilient future. That is why we have announced that we're lifting the CLC statement of, of ambition to align the action we're taking to how science and policy has evolved over time. So part of that, when you talk about that, Jolie, is almost like this, this uh, collective accountability and transparency across all these different companies and it can make an impact. So talk me through that with how that actually practically works with a hundred of these you know, organisations that are in business doing good for obviously for um, shareholders and themselves but also for others in the community. So if you think about um, uh, our organisation, for example, so Spark, and, and you think about where our emissions come from, um, 80% of our emissions are electricity. 
So when I think about what I need to do as a leader of our business to solve that, one, I need to make sure that we are as effective and as efficient with our technology. So we're removing legacy technologies for a less efficient from an energy perspective, but also working with our energy partners to make sure that we are supporting the decarbonisation of um, the network and they're helping us with these plans. So when you think about that, I can do the work in my business to make sure that we're as efficient as possible, but we also need to work with others. And then think on the other side of that, my customers who may come on um, onto our data centres, for example, cloud businesses, that's helping them to be more efficient. So they're leveraging some shared infrastructure rather than everyone having their own. And so there's efficiencies all the way through. So it's really around, we've all got an obligation to do our bit in our own organisations, but this is around how we work together both, whether from a policy perspective, whether it's around solving some of the big challenges that are there, because a lot of these issues aren't easy to resolve, but one of the things that businesses are generally pretty good at is once there is a plan, you know, we know how to manage risk and to operate together. And I think we're, the investments that this collective group are looking to make over a period of five years is roughly around $9.5 billion. So putting our money where our mouth is and whether that's on decarbonisation of the grid, whether that's on research around um, uh, methane and better forms of that, it's looking at all the things that we can do and we believe we're stronger together in terms of working through those issues and finding solutions that are more system-wide. I think where you get at risk sometimes is when you have a fragmentation. That's both in the private sector, but also yep. it's really important that we work well with the public through well and government and iwi as we work through this to make sure the action we take has a real, um, uh, what's the word, um, uh, amplifying effect rather than mm. just what I can do for, for me or my organisation. We've got to take personal accountability, but we've also got to be collective in our actions. So that accountability is an interesting one, right? If you far, rewind back, say, 20, 30, 40, whatever years ago, I doubt there would be the same collective mindset of businesses coming together to to be as force leading for like you know something like the climate leaders coalition like this before when you talk about this journey of efficiency everyone that's coming through surely everyone's journey is different that's they're trying to create different ways for more efficiency within their businesses and all of these learnings are they then getting shared as a mini blueprint for others to basically be able to plug in and go like just talk me through that because i'm sure that everyone's journey is obviously different depending on the size of their company and stuff so how does that practically work out for business one to a hundred so if you think about sectors too, you know, we've got very different sectors within the group and we're represented. So just to maybe stand back, the overall group represents about 60% of New Zealand emissions, about 38% of GDP and about 220,000 employees. So you think that's a large footprint of, of New Zealand <laughs> captured there. And within that, there'll be different sectors. And some of those sectors have much more significant um, transition challenges than others. Uh, mm. So really one thing is about sectors working together to solve, whether that's transport and logistics or whether that's in agriculture and research or whether that's in the energy sector. So that part, it's about sharing ideas too in terms of across different groups because just because I'm in the sector of technology and um, communications, I might be able to learn something off a different sector and how they're applying um, the solutions they are to their particular area. So it's about sharing that with mentoring. So for companies that have already done more work or are further advanced, you know, offering to mentor back into organisations that maybe don't have the same resources, aren't just far ahead, because for me it's about movement. It's yeah. not about anyone being perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect in this space. It's actually about taking action, and we're much better if we bring 
everyone with us than if we're leaving people behind in that. So there's a, there's a collective desire to make sure that we can um, do that well. And that's where we've shifted to in terms of as a group and the focus is then we're also transparent. So each year uh, in September, we release the results. So last year's just 7% reduction. You'll see that in, in September 22, we'll release our next set of the collective membership about where we're progressing to. And I think from my point of view, that's always important in terms of transparency, doing what you say you will. And, but, but mostly this is a recognition that this isn't easy. Mm. It's challenging. There'll be different challenges in different paces, but actually collectively we'll be so much stronger. And to your point before around, you know, do you, would we have seen this historically or, or even in other countries? I've worked in other countries and I'm not sure you see the same collective mm. desire to actually do good or work well together to actually solve these problems across the whole business community when you think about what we cover in that group. Well, it's, it sounds like uh, government and politics, but w- without any government or politics because everyone's actually working together genuinely to do something together. <laughs> so I'm yeah, sure, I'm sure there's... We're doing obviously the Climate Commission and working uh, cross-party, ensuring support for policy because end of the day, a plan as a plan, and that probably covers about 20% of the work, the actual action is in making sure that when you're investing, you understand the policies that have been put in place so you've got certainty, particularly when putting a lot of money down to actually transition some of these um, sectors. So working really closely um, and having a point of view on the things that we're seeing in the space is really important as well. So it's not only collective from the business industry, but it's all business collective. It's collective in terms of working with governments of all you know of all shapes well you're just talking about before you know almost 100 organizations and you know 60 percent of of all all that which is making noise in Aotearoa random leadership question actually is you're the convenier for the climate leaders coalition you've got you know the a stacked weight of of Aotearoa business how do you herd the cats <laughs> it's a lot of egos and power and influence in one room how do you do it what's the what's the what's the hack I think getting really clear about what's our collective ambition as a group, and so we've just uh, done that, and we continue to revise that because what's happening is science and policy moves, and so we need to make sure we keep pace with that. We're, we want to be a leadership group, so that means making sure that the ambitions are there. So first off, it's about aligning around our ambition, and then it's about aligning around the things that we will work together on and where there's collective benefit. So, um as you say, it's the CEO, so, so you've got a range of people, but there are also people that can make, can influence and make the change that's required. And that's why it's such an important, important group in that regard. They can put their money where their mouth is in terms of the things that we need need to do. So for really my role in Convener is making sure that we are having the conversations that we should have, we're having a point of view where we should, and we're, we're, we're moving forward on that collective ambition. And with that, sort of the entry requirement is high as a result of that because it is a leadership group, so in terms of we keep resetting the, the bar higher as, as the science moves to make sure that we will, uh, when we deliver on these outcomes, we will be uh, leading. And I think if you look across the world, there's not many that have got this kind of rep- representation in private sector as well. Um, yeah. Well, when you talk about saying you know money where your mouth is, I think was the number you used before, Julie, was it $9.5 billion? Was that the number that you said? Yes. Which is over a period of five years, if you look at our, our membership on the different forms, and that can be anything from kind of the research and development, developing um, new infrastructures, if you think about decarbonisation of um, electricity. So there's a whole range of different things going on, or whether it's 
leaks, infrastructure charging. So all of those things are around signatories investing to make sure that they can meet uh, the, the ambition that they've put out and, and transition through these, through yeah. these sectors. So it's a, it's a whole range of investment. It's not, and it's not a, it's not a, like a collective, we're putting the money in together. It's what each business is doing in their own right. But obviously having that lined up against the plans that are in place and a clear understanding of where policy is going helps to make decisions then about investment. So our biggest ask always is about a seat at the table in terms of when policy is being set and and when we're implementing that we're partners alongside government in, in doing that. Well, you know, I was just saying, uh, Jolly, if you've got all this collective of businesses that are wanting, you know, better businesses for a better better New Zealand, it's a, when you've aligned with the intent of what you're there for, there's, you know, po- politics to the side and everyone's openly and sharing and you've got accountability and transparency, it's pretty clear that when you put the money where your mouth is, good things will happen. Um, bef- before we go, I was just going to actually uh, ask you, so say you said, I think the number you said was, was it 60% or 80% of all that, were, of the expenses were electricity, was it? Was it, was it 60 or 80? What was the oh, number? Oh, so that's for me, that's for so yeah. Sparks business, about 80% of our emissions is electricity. 60%, what I was talking about, the collective group, so when we look at emissions for New Zealand, this group covers 60% of New Zealand's emissions in total. So when you think about the change that Got needs it. to happen, it really sits in this group, yeah. So if you were to wave the little sprinkle dust as convener across this thing and make, and make it happen, where's the biggest priority to try and save electricity from that 8% from either within Spark or the 60% for the group? Where's Is there a, a, a glaring red flag which everyone needs to just drill down to, to start to change or where's the, where's the prioritisation or energy at the moment going? So when you think about um, New Zealand has a lot of renewable energy, one of the, the areas though that's very weather reliant, obviously. So there are elements that are not renewable. So investment is going into creating either more hydro or other forms of renewable energy. So that's one element. But then in my my business, I'm looking at the technologies we have and making sure we're retiring technologies that are either ineffective or inefficient and and use more energy and making sure we've got leading um, technologies coming in. So that's the work I've got to do Individually, every company will be different though, and that's why the, every organisation needs to have their own action plan relevant to their sector. Um, but it is around both uh, investment required to transition, it's around change in behaviour, and that's also where consumers and people who use services, you know, that's an important part of that too. So Scope 3 also looks at what happens further down the line, so in terms of packaging, all those sorts of things. So it's really about people considering each of their own actions, how, how they influence what happens and, and doing their bit. There is no one silver bullet on this. Yeah. <laughs> it is going to need collective uh, uh, ambition and action and it is around getting on and doing and I always am a big believer once you get into doing, you learn from it, you can iterate, you can do more and, and so you, you get much better at it and so as a organisation, having people alongside you as a collective group is a really important part of that because you're sharing learnings and you're speeding it up for people that may not have experienced that same thing yet, but they get a chance to hear all about what you did, why you did it and what you learned from it and therefore Mm. cut through some of that when they go to implement. Well, it becomes that thing too when they know when others that are watching the journey know that the intent is aligned and right and there's accountability and transparency and, and openness to sharing of it with the learnings and failures and obviously you've got the thing coming out in September for it too, it kind of gives a lot more leeway when they know that your intent's right, to, you're trying to do these good things. So I think that gives you a, a lot more um, 
you know, a lot more leeway from everyone that's watching because they everyone's supportive of the journey as a collective, which is pretty cool. So, um, yeah, really appreciate you joining um, the show, Jolly, and congrats again on on hurting the cats for a hundred of these weapons that doing a whole bunch of good stuff for New Zealand. So, well done, and I'll leave you to your weekend. And um, thanks for joining us, Epic. Thanks very much. Rock and roll. That was Jolly Hodson, CEO of Spark New Zealand. Uh, Brand new convener for the Climate Leaders Coalition. I did not realise that 100 of those organisations do almost 60% of, of all that for Aotearoa. That's pretty crazy. Unreal. And obviously when you, you think of these percentages, right, you need to think if you're a billion dollar business and you're you know, saving 10%, that's $100 million extra into the into the bank account, which is going to be helping a whole bunch of others. So these numbers matter, especially as it scales up, which is super cool as well. Uh, coming up after the break, we're speaking with Laura Balmain. It's the Tall Poppy Profile, highlighting Kiwis doing great stuff on Today FN for a bet live episode 318. The time now is 1.19pm. The show that loves Tall Poppies. For a bet live. Here's this week's Tall Poppy Profile. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody has to up. And they stay there. We do love Tall Poppies on Rebecca Live, episode 318 on Today FM. Live from South Lake Tahoe. Uh, this week for a Tall Poppy Profile, I'm draw- joined by Laura Bell-Main from SafeStack, a community-centric online training platform that takes a flexible, people-focused approach to ongoing cybersecurity education at a time where, oh, you know, it's more important than ever. So I always like to have uh, sections of the show like this where we can highlight good Kiwis doing great stuff, and especially when there's technology and cyber involved, I'm all about it. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Laura Bell-Main. Kia ora, how are you, Laura? I'm great. How are you doing? I am rolling. Whereabouts are you in Aotearoa right now? How's your Saturday? I am in sunny Whangarei, um, and the clouds have finally lifted. We have glorious weather, so, yeah, it's a great weekend. There you go. Okay, so Safe Stack. Tell me about it. What do you do and how do you do it? Obviously, cyber, I get it. Education, I get it. Go, go, give me the 101. Sure. Um, so our specialist skill, if, if we were going to change one thing in the world, We are giving every software development team that we can connect with the skills they need to consider cybersecurity from having a crazy idea but not having built anything yet all the way through the life of that software. So the the dream is that instead of us all needing to find a specialist that we have to pay every now and again, that every single person who builds software becomes a bit of a security person. And so as a result, all of those amazing technologies being built in the world consider security from the start, which hopefully makes us all a little bit safer. I get it. It's kind of the insurance piece. So for those, if we zoom in out for a second, you know, obviously the word cyber and cybersecurity, if you don't understand the the world of computing, how big is the industry? What does this mean? Give us a bit of a macro to how big of a thing this actually is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, some kind of cool numbers for you. So there are 30 million people employed as software developers in the world right now. And we add 1.2 million new graduates into that space every year. So pretty much every organization you can think of right now is building or using some kind of software to make their life easier, um, to you know reach more customers, to export, to, to do cool stuff. And so this entire population exists um, as part of that. Uh, building these things. So we are looking to work with those software development teams all around the world and we're currently in seven countries working with over 100 organizations ranging from tiny little organizations with you know small teams and big dreams all the way up to national uh, level airlines, banks, the kinds of brands that you see and don't even think about having software. I get it. It's, it's, it's mega. It's awesome. I, I want to jump into this for a second. When COVID hit, 
all the businesses and people and employees that were in these buildings all around the city and everyone got, had to go home. And then all of a sudden, there were a lot of conversations around, do I need a firewall? Is this thing safe? Can I, what, what access can I get? Blah, blah, blah. Security became instantly paramount for anyone that worked at a bank or insurance or anyone that had um, important data on it. What was the biggest thing that you learned or noticed through COVID with how the average Kiwi companies had to then navigate this world of cybersecurity, mm. trying to keep their businesses operating while physically not even being in the same space. Yeah, and I think it was really tricky. Um, when we all had to go remote, and many of us stayed remote after that, um, a lot of systems that had been built with the idea that they would be inside a contained environment, so safely in your office building, safely only available in a fixed location, suddenly got put online. And that quite challenging because you go from I can see all of the, the things I need to protect and you know they're in this enclosed space that I control all of it to suddenly you know you've got connections from all over the place you've got new technology springing up all the time uh, and that was really really hard for organizations big and small but I, what I think COVID did give us though is the COVID pandemic in a way is actually a really uh relatable now, sadly, um, way for us to think about how security works. So security is all about risk. So something bad happening, like catching COVID, for example, and security risks spread um, from system to system as attackers move between them, much like we see with contagions. So a lot of us, even though we didn't realize we were doing it by navigating the last two years, we learned about risk and how to protect ourselves and to distance and to mask and all those things, which actually are kind of metaphors for how security works. So in a way, we all kind of got a little bit more familiar, even though the risk had grown and we were suddenly very aware of it. I get it. The um, the the mindset shift that all these businesses had to do. So many of them were kind of freaked out, realizing that oh, they have, we have to do this and that, and they don't know how the business is going to operate. And there's a lot of sort of I guess stress and anxiety because a lot of these people hadn't um, dealt with uh, I guess technology to this level or cybersecurity or whatever. So for those, if you were giving advice to someone listening right now that's running businesses, they kind of put they've been focused on the business not worrying about cybersecurity or data or anything else what do you think some initial first steps should be for companies that are wanting to try and take this a bit more seriously but they don't know where to start so i'll, I'll give you two things one thing is a very tangible step they can take today and one is uh, something to think about because that will help you plan for what you do next. So the first most important thing is for all those important accounts. So think your email, which basically runs our entire lives, um, your bank account, your zero, whatever it is, put on your two-factor authentication. Even though it slows it down, it can make it a bit more cumbersome. That single control, so asking for an additional code as well as your password to log in, can eliminate up to 80% of the common attacks we see against accounts. So that feels to me like a really quick win that you can go and do, turn it on, just get it done. Next up, I'm going to suggest a little bit of thinking homework. So cybersecurity is just like any other kind of crime. You have somebody who has sufficient motivation to do a bad thing. And in the case of cybersecurity, they're looking at your data or your people or actually just straight up cash if you're that kind of business. So the most important thing you can do as a, a leader in an organization, big or small, is to understand what you have that's valuable to somebody else. And that's not always where you expect it to be. 
because very few of us have, you know, big stacks of money sat on the side. It could be data sets about your customers. It could be intelligence or IP or secret recipes, whatever it is. Find your valuable thing, and that's your first priority. So think of it like, you know, protecting anything valuable. If you know what's valuable, you know what steps to take first. So don't worry about protecting everything. There's no such thing as 100% secure. But do things focused around the biggest risk, the biggest thing that somebody would have a motivation to either harm or steal. Just like that. Um, if people wanted to check out and check where you're up to with SafeStack, where, think, where can they go and what can they do, Laura? Okay, there's two things they can do. They can head online to safestack.io. Um, and they can sign up for a free trial. Um, and the nice thing about that is you can get stuck in, you can learn today, bring your team, big or small, um, and from all over the world. So it's a wonderful thing. Um, the other thing is to follow us along on social media, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, and the like, because we also share lots of really great material for you to just use free of charge. So, for example, there's a really great free white paper out there at the moment of how to build yourself an application security roadmap. So if your com company uses software or build software, it's a really great how-to guide to say, well, how can I start considering security now without being overwhelmed by it? So, you know, check us out online and get in touch. We'd love to hear about um, organizations out there and the amazing things they're building because part of our job is to help all of those things stay safe. Awesome. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's Tall Poppy Profile. Big ups to you and all you're doing and um, best of luck for everything you're doing in the future, Laura. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, there you go. Uh, Laura Bell-Main from SafeStack. Super cool. Cybersecurity team, you heard it there first. Two-factor two authentication will kill 90% of all the scammers and find out where all the important stuff is. Where, where are those secret recipes? What's the name of your contact list? Whatever it is, hide it, make it secure and safe. Uh, coming after, after the break, we have the Chief Economist from the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. His name is Paul Conway. He'll be joining me right in a sec. It is 1.31pm. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. Oh, team, we're almost at the end of the show. It's gone so fast. Uh, this is Rebet Live, episode 318 on Today FM. Live from South Lake Tahoe this week. Uh, find your local frequency at todayfm.co.nz or take us with you on the go. Uh, download the free Rover app on your smartphone's app store. Text me through if you've got any ideas or what up uh, to 3920. And I'm going to give a shout out. I've got a message to the bro from offcut.co. He's doing some cool stuff. Hats made with scraps. There you go. It's not sponsored. He just sent me a message saying he's loving the show. So big ups to you, mate. Uh, there you go. Uh, next up, it is Conway's Corner. He is the chief economist for the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. He's been a very, very busy boy this week. How are you, Paul? Hey, Robert. I am good. Thanks. Had a, had a good week in the capital. It's been fun. Tell me about the week. I saw some. Uh, I saw a little uh, bit of a note here. You went to a pretty epic-looking conference called Diplosphere. Oh, yeah. It wasn't. It, it yeah. wasn't a rave. What was it? Go, go for it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was probably the highlight of the week. Actually, this cool uh, conference at Te Papa uh, here on Wednesday. It was a, a national conference uh, on international relations, featuring the voice of Māori and youth. Uh, I'm neither of those, but they still asked me to come along and speak. Uh, and I, did, I didn't really do my homework, so I just kind of thought, oh, yep, another conference. So I'll go to that and turn up and do my do my bit. But, um, you know, I went along to, to Papa there, as you do, and I walked into a big room full of Māori and young people and just went, oh, wow, this feels awesome. How lucky am I to be here? Uh, and they had, you know, well over 300 uh, people there feeling engaged and energised and, um, 
I don't know, inspired and sort of excited. And I think it, it sort of felt like, you know, trusted. They felt trusted to sort of have their views uh, heard. And, you know, they've got, you know, the solutions that they're coming up with, the sort of the serious challenges that we're facing into. So it was awesome. I mean, I met heaps of cool people uh, and the whole thing, you know, it felt really fresh. Uh, lots of new connections uh, being made. So I, I loved it. It was good. So it says, I was looking on the website, um, it's saying, you know, navigating a stormy world, te ao Māori perspectives, but anchoring Māori values in foreign policy. It, it feels like when I was looking at the, the speaking lineup, really kind of eclectic and diverse across a bunch of it. And, you know, you said it was, you know, um, a bunch of young crew or whatever. Well, you're still young at heart, Paul. You know, you're young at heart. You can get in there. So, but I'm, I'm interested maybe to jump into this for a little bit of the intersection of te ao Māori basically becoming this culture becoming almost like a, a, a superpower asset within business and, and differentiating itself for the world. What were some of the key things that you kind of really took away from the day after um, spending the day with all these uh, amazing crew and wellness? Yeah. Well, you know, I've kind of been into, I've just been learning more and more about the Tao Māori uh, sort of worldview. Uh, and they, they asked me to speak there um, about how the Reserve Bank, where, where I currently work, Tukutia Matua, how we're embracing that sort of Māori history and heritage and, and applying it in, in what we do. And that was sort of the vibe across uh, everybody there. How do you take that world view and apply it to climate change, um, for a, example? So, you know, I, I'm kind of still new and settling into the Reserve Bank, but maybe if I just talk about where we're sort of getting to... Um, you know, and, and, and strong focus that we've got here on Tao Māori. It was certainly a big uh, part of the attraction for me to come and work here in, in the first place. And you know, as I said, I'm, I'm Pākehā. Uh, but the more I learn about this, uh, about Tao Māori, the, the more I think it really does hold some important lessons for us and, and solutions to the challenges, you know, the not insignificant challenges we're, we're facing into. I think that focus on... On, on people, uh, tangata and, and the land, you know, whenua is just exactly what we need uh, at, at the moment. So here at, here at the Reserve Bank, we're increasingly taking or talking about that Māori economy. Uh, you know, our mission is to enable economic wellbeing and prosperity for all New Zealanders. Um, so we're really seeing, keen to see the uh, income gap with uh, Māori uh, close and I can talk about that a bit uh, if, if you like. We've got some data on that, which I put out in my presentation. Um, but you know, it's not just about talking about the Maori economy. It's, uh, I think you know, there's also real value in embracing tell Maori and and sort of how we work together. And you know, not sort of just in an academic way with a picture on the wall, but more a sort of living, breathing uh, kind of way. So here, you know, we're trying to learn or trying to integrate the knowledge that we've accumulated from the sort of post-colonisation uh, society uh, in New Zealand and from that sort of more indigenous uh, knowledge in Tao Māori. So we use that in our long-run vision for what we're up to at the Reserve Bank uh, and we use that as part of our values, that Tao Māori frame. Uh, and we also use it in our comms. So we use the legend of Tane Mahuta to describe our purpose in the New Zealand economy and sort of the interconnectedness between different bits of our work. Uh, and also, you know, we obviously use it. it. It helps us in our policy work. It sort of broadens our stakeholder engagement program. Uh, and also, you know, just to grow our internal cultural capabilities. Uh, and can I just, you know, repeat, we, we don't do this because it's, it's the cool thing to do, you know, and but it is pretty cool. But that's not why we do it. 
Uh, we do it because it works. Uh, you know, my experience as a Pākehā, just sort of getting a glimpse of this world, is that it brings us closer together uh, as an organisation. It makes us better uh, at doing what we do and serving the, the people of Aotearoa. And it's also obviously consistent with uh, the treaty, Te Tiriti o Waitangi, you know, which our ancestors signed us up to. So, you know, it's... it's, it's I, I just... I don't know. I, I, I'm still obviously learning. I've got a long way to go in this world. But as I said at the beginning, I think there's, there's heaps of uh, good stuff uh, in, in this space that's really applicable and useful to us in, in the modern context. One of the things, you know, just listen to you speak there, Paul, around when they're thinking about these values and stuff, is of, you know, this in a modern term would say you know it's chestnut checkers where we're thinking long game we're thinking generational whatever and as soon as that intersects within Māoridom that's definitely a case too thinking about the, your children's children and the land for legacy and decades and it feels like there's a way um, more zoomed out bigger horizon in terms of when yeah. it comes to, to thinking about this but you know you talk about in that about closing this gap, right, especially within potentially like Māori and Pacifica and stuff. Like, where does your headspace go to with how you, you know, you've obviously spoken about a, a little bit before, but where does your brain go to when you look to try and potentially tackle that on to try and close that gap? Where does your brain yeah. go? Well, that's 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 huge. Like, um, I, I think, you know, I think it's about empowering Māori and Pacifica just to sort of, you know, do it themselves. I, I don't think we can be the colonists, or certainly me as a Pākehā, and turning up and telling them, you know, how, how to how to do it. But um, I actually spoke about the Māori economy uh, in my presentation, because and just to make the point, you know, Tanga Tafinua in our country, you know, unfortunately still face uh, plenty of economic adversity uh, relative to the to the you know the, the general. Uh, population Māori is sort of down the wrong end of the income distribution. And just to sort of bring that point home, so Māori currently make up about 17% of our population, uh, but they earn about 9% uh, as a group of our national income. So 17% of the population versus 9% of the income pie. You know, that's a huge difference. Mm. Uh, and if, you know, if I can put that another way, if we look at GDP per capita, which is sort of a, a crude approximation of average income, uh, overall New Zealand as a country, we are ranked uh, 23rd highest in the world in terms of our GDP per capita. Um, but if we treated uh, Māori as a nation on their own, then their average incomes would come in at about 48th place uh, globally, Jeez. which is the same. Uh, level of GDP per capita of some of the ex-Soviet economies like Lithuania and, and, and places like that. So, you know, I'm, I kind of think of it, we've sort of got the developing economy, this Māori economy within the New Zealand uh, economy. And, you know, of course, with with lower incomes, you know, comes the lower savings rates and, and worse financial health and, um, you know, more financial hardship within that developing economy. Um, and, you know, the reasons... For that, um, you know, Māori tend to be overrepresented in, in, in low-wage uh, employment. Uh, unemployment tends to be higher uh, than in the general population across across the Māori uh, cohort. And, you know, these outcomes are generations in the making. So, you know, just getting back to your question, I think, you know, hopefully we can turn them around, uh, you know, working in partnership as we signed up to under the, under the treaty uh, in, in a lot quicker time. And, and, and obviously, you know, there is a, a really good upside the story, the Māori economy, it's clearly growing, uh, it's becoming more diverse, 
uh, and it's increasingly being recognised as an area of, uh, of opportunity, so that sort of economic and cultural contribution of Māori to well-being in our country is, is enormous and growing strongly. We're sort of, it feels like we're living through a bit of a, a renaissance uh, of sorts. And I think Aotearoa, I think we're slowly sort of embracing the, the, the richness uh, of our diverse uh, cultures, which you know, is awesome. And it's sort of, I don't know, Rebecca, it fills me with a bit of hope for, for where we're headed. Yeah, when you, you know, there's such a correlation between, say, Māoridom and money in that respect. You're talking about, you know, 48 for 24, it's basically doubled down. It, with the yeah. rising wave of momentum building towards culture as an asset, not potentially seen as a liability from some, the reality is with more and more dollars and empowerment going through the culture and the language and the people and the connections, which which is obviously intertwined right into the DNA of, of Māoridom itself, it feels yeah. like that gap, is going to escalate at a faster pace up the ranks from 48 back to 28 across all of it, right? It feels that the more that people in commerce are attached to it, the more it's actually going to end up eventually helping culture, which gives me kind of a little bit more hope too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, money's good. It's good to have higher incomes. It's, it's comfortable. I think we've talked about this in the past. It feeds into well-being and, and you know maori as a group are growing and they're a relatively young population in our society as well so it just it's just not optimal it's not good for anybody to have that you know that sort of developing or underdeveloped economy within the new zealand economy if we can sort of build that up you know that that sort of improves our aggregate performance and i think you know commercial uh, organizations are seeing this more as an opportunity certainly you know that the, uh, the bank of new zealand they're putting a lot of effort uh into engaging with maori and figuring out how to you know sort of improve maori access to 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 capital so there is there is a you know for me this is a good news story obviously it would have been better to sort of be thinking like this from the beginning uh, of colonization but you know here we are it's a bit like climate change you know the best time to get started was 30 years ago but the second best time is today yep man on that note Epic. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, buddy, and thanks so much for, for locking in, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, cheers, cheers, Rebecca. We'll catch you soon. Bye. All right, coming up after the break, it's Elise Hilliam, co-founder of MenuAid on Rebecca Live, episode 318. The time now is 1.46pm. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebecca Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. Welcome back to Rebet Live, episode 318 on Today FM. You can find out more about us at todayfm.co.nz or fo- follow us on the socials, Facebook, Insta, Twitter, and the TikToks. Uh, text me through on 3920 if you'd like. I'll ring through. There's only a couple of minutes left for the show, but we're going about to get into it now. Joining me now is Elise Hilliam. She is the co-founder of MenuAid. It's a Christchurch-based startup that launched in September last year, founded by Elise and her partner, Toby Skilton. Uh, she's got a, a Bachelor of Applied Science in Sports and Exercise Nutrition, so it's absolute weapon. Menu Aid solves the what's for dinner dilemma, which I have a lot, so I'm very excited to, to have a chat. So, kia ora, Elise, welcome to the show. Kia ora, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. So you're in the dirty, dirty south today. What's popping in the 03? What's going down in Chicha today? <laughs> There is not a lot going on. It is absolutely miserable. It's not a typical Christchurch day, so a lot of bunkering down and but are in our home actually. Oh, there you go. Okay, so tell me about menu aid. So, what's for dinner dilemma is something that I cannot cook. I still do peanut butter sandwiches. I still use ramen noodles. I literally can't cook. So, walk me through it. What is menu aid, and how did you come up with the idea? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, I challenge you to try and use MenuAid to uh, we open we can help. <laughs> but uh, so essentially, MenuAid was born purely out of Toby and I's own selfish frustration. And we were 26, and we were already really feeling the burden of trying to decide what to eat for dinner, let alone having nagging children. You know, asking us at nine o'clock every morning what's for dinner that night. So we created it to solve our own problem, um, and so it was designed essentially to be really simple, um, low cost and accessible for everyone. So what it is is a $4 per week subscription. You sign up and we send you five recipes each week. The recipes are um, capable for reluctance and novice cooks like yourself, as you claim. Um, and essentially it's all um, recipes that cater for the New Zealand market, which isn't ideal for you right now being in San Fran, but it's all seasonal produce and things that are relevant for the New Zealand market at the moment. So, yeah. There you go. So it's a subscription as a service menu uh, offering, and then that's how it works. And each week you get the the menus. Is there an op- so then you'll give like um, you get basically a set of like, hey, this is what you can cook for the week type thing. How does that actually practically work for those that that, that subscribe and, and and lock in? Yeah, absolutely. So each Saturday morning, um, five recipes will be logged onto your account. So it's a website. Uh, you jump onto your account and you see the five new recipes for that week. You can also see all of the ones we've ever sent you before um, in your recipe bank. So if you don't like the look of those five recipes, you can use historical ones too. Uh, and then you simply hit on there which ones you click add to trolley and it adds it to your trolley. And I guess that's where the magic happens. It reconciles and categorizes all the recipes that you want to cook into a nice editable shopping list where you can add in anything else you need for the week, like toilet paper, chocolate, dog food. Um, remove anything that you've already got, like quite often people have got rice at home or soy sauce or, you know, those staples. Um, and then you can also get to um, integrate with the supermarket. So we've got quite a good integration with Countdown at the moment where you just click shop online, copy and paste it into a shopping list for you on their platform, and from there you can choose exactly what you want to buy. Um, so, yeah, we're sort of uh, trying to be a more flexible um, and more cost-efficient service than the likes of mail kits, for example. There you go. Okay. Interesting. All right. So and how's, what's the biggest thing you've learned about, I guess, launching, launching the company since? Is it, is it creative challenges, operational? Where's the, um, where you find it? What have you found the most difficult, I guess, since you, since you launched uh, MenuAid? Um, I think we've... So far, it's been a really awesome experience. I, I haven't, um, thankfully, Touchwood had too many um, difficulties yet, to be completely honest. We have found that within the New Zealand startup ecosystem, it's been an incredibly supportive space. There's a lot of people out there who are willing to give you their time and their advice, which is really helpful when you're just trying to figure out um, the best thing to do. I guess at the moment for us, um, the biggest difficulty is we're trying, we'll just secure our first office. Um, but what's after we've just raised capital and what's been really interesting in talking to other startup founders is trying to find office spaces that are suitable for startups and that you could grow really, really quickly and need to leave yeah. that office space within a year. And so they're all wanting, you know, two, three year leases, which is understandable, but also just not realistic for startups. So that's been a challenge that we've been lucky um, to find someone that will have us for a year, but that was definitely a challenge for us. It's kind of that tension of, um, you know, from the startup world, you could literally go from one staff to 100 in a year, but then you don't want to, when you've got only, say, two or three staff, and they're like, oh, you want a three-year lease and, you know, the 500 square meters, you're like, ah, oh, there's like, I think we'll grow, but we don't. It, it's been such a time and time uh, issue, which I can definitely um, understand so far. So um, in your journey to date, what do you think is the biggest learning you've um, 
you've actually learned? What's the biggest thing you've learned about about the company or yourself or or, or the market or whatever? Um, I guess the biggest thing I've learned about myself is to just like back myself. Um, it's yeah. been a really interesting time, I guess, with my background in nutrition, and I've always had a huge passion for this space, but not a wealth of experience within the startup um, world. That I a lot of self doubt came in, um, and but we've actually got a product that everybody can relate to, and it's not a um, you know this crazy problem that nobody understands. It's everyone has this burden of what's for dinner, and so just being able to share that and help. Um, as many people as possible has been really awesome, but definitely there's been waves of stuff out coming in. Um, but there's nothing better than just getting on the phone and talking to. We've got seven thousand customers, like it's, and we've only been live for nine months. It's going incredibly well. So I just love getting on the phone and talking to those people and hearing how we're helping them, and that really motivates me to just keep going. How do you keep the the creativity up in terms of the menus? You're saying it's you know five five a week that gets dropped every Saturday on on the website. Who's the who's the mastermind that's that's keeping the creativity alive to keep this thing cranking away? Yeah, well, originally Toby and I tried to do it ourselves, and then we realised there's a reason why we're creating this because we don't like going out with one day. So we've actually got two awesome chefs involved. Um, one goes by the name of Brett McGregor, so he. Was a bit of a celeb here in New Zealand, and he was the first winner of New Zealand Master Chef. Uh, so he is an incredible recipe writer, and then also Helen Jackson. She's also been in. The, she's got a food blog called Food Lovers NZ. Uh, she's also been in the New Zealand food scene for an incredibly long time. And so we've got very thankful to have them on board sending us um, new recipes every week. And they the recipes because we've got a recipe review. Um, you know, we encourage people to review our recipes and let us know what they think. And I, it's about a 95% hit rate, which is incredible considering Jeez. that we're just sending out the same five recipes every week and not everyone's going to love the same recipes. That's something that we're working on at the moment. But, yeah, so they, it's all, all thanks to them. <laughs> Good on you. That's amazing. All right, well, uh, before we go, I'll give you a little plug here. It's cool. You've got 7,000 customers cranking away. You get subscription play rolling along in, in dirty old chitcha. Uh, where can they go to? What can they do to check out more about MenuAid? Yeah, please visit us at menuaid.co.nz or you can just Google menuaid. Um, and we're also on Instagram at menu underscore aid and Facebook as well. We do lots of cool tips and tricks and um, content on menuaid, um, Instagram and Facebook. So please check us out there. There you go. All right, check out the social game, see what's popping. Hey, really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, Elise, and um, best, best of luck to you in the future. Well done and congrats. Keep smashing it. Thanks so much, Yvette. Lovely to chat. Cheers. Ro- rolling. All right, coming up next, time to recap. See what we've learned for this week. Almost the end of the show, team. Time now is 1.58 p.m. Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. We're rolling. What did we learn? We've got time. We've got about a minute left. This is what we're about to do. What did we learn this week? Three things. Well, actually, kind of two main things. One, if you're in the cyber game, Put on two-factor authentication, which is going to decrease the amount of scammy pricks that will go and try to steal your stuff by 80%. So if you're online, two-factor authentication, yes. And the podcast from today were School of Greatness, Ed Milet. The two books were Zero Resistance to Selling and Power of Your Subconscious Mind. That was sent thanks to Steve Paps who joined us. And finally, the last quote of the day, which I thought was epic, was by Olivia Wensley who said, you know, being able to have, be able to, failure to failure without losing optimism. The power of the mind. How you can go from failure to failure without losing optimism. I thought that was super cool. Uh, hope you've enjoyed the show. I've enjoyed doing it. I'm not going to lie, team. I'm about to go to the casino. I'm getting hosted VIP. I'm going to Chainsmokers. 
it's going to be flipping epic. I'll send you some pics. You can you know, check out on my Instagram. I'll probably put some on my stories. I'll be like, whoop, whoop. Hey, now nah, enjoy the weekend, team. Have a good time. Big ups as well to the bro, uh, Captain Bryn on the ones and twos, making this whole thing work well. Uh, New Zealand wins when New Zealanders win, and I hope you all have a winning week. Cheers, team. Adios.